The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28, for our text reading here this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28, for our text reading here today. It doesn't take very long to read a newspaper, to watch the news, uh, to look around our neighborhoods and realize uh, that the world in which we live in today is an extremely broken place. It's hard to go an entire week being exposed to what's happening around the world and not be reminded of the sin the brokenness and the hurt that exists all around us. And and the question that seems to come to our minds is simply, what do we do about it? We, We hear about the diseases that are running rampant and moving into America. We see the terrorists' threats that touch our own lands. We see the Christless societies that are being raised up. And it can be overwhelming at times, can't it? Yeah. And it's easy for us to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? How do we get involved? And, and I believe our text addresses this reality head on. In 1921, in the Congo in Africa... There was much of the same things that were taking place today, taking place then. Disease was running rampant. Uh, There were many children whose parents were dying and they were being left as orphans. The political upheaval at that time was difficult. And there was a Swedish couple by the name of David and Svei Flood who were impressed not just to see the brokenness, not just to observe the brokenness, Uh, But their hearts longed to actually go into it, to address it, to engage it in a very real manner. And so in 1921, this Swedish couple, they packed up their belongings, they said goodbye to their family, and they moved there with another Scandinavian family by the name of the Eriksons uh, to go and attempt to do their best to reach this part of the country with the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as meet very physical, tangible needs uh, that these folks had. When they got to the area that they felt the Lord led them to, the chief would not allow them to engage that particular village. In fact, as a pagan man, he wanted nothing to do with them, and so he sent them outside the village. They could not have engagement of any kind. They were not allowed to speak. They were not allowed to interface with any of the people there in that particular area. And, and really, the only encounters they had with anyone from this place was a little boy who would bring them and sell them uh, eggs and chickens. And twice a week, this little boy, nine years old, would make his way out of the village to the flood's home, and he would sell them these little eggs and chickens, and that's how they would survive. And, And with that being their only point of contact, feeling that that was where God led them to be, they begin to love on this little boy. They begin to tell him about the person of Jesus Christ. They begin to take the opportunity just to tell him exactly what Jesus had done for all humanity. 
On one particular day, they begin to see a a light at the end of the tunnel when that little boy bowed his head and committed his life to Jesus Christ. The floods thought to themselves, maybe this is the beginning. Maybe, Maybe this is where God begins to break this thing wide open. A couple of months later, it was April 13th, 1923, Svei Flood had become pregnant and David and Svei were so excited to have their little baby and they were anticipating her arrival. However, when she was born, they named her Aggie, but due to complications from childbirth, Svei died. 17 days later, they buried her in a crude little uh, burial site. And in that moment, something in in David's heart just snapped. He took his child back down to the mountain, to the mission station. He handed the baby to the Ericsons. And he said, I've lost my wife. And obviously, I can't take care of this baby. God has ruined me. A short while later, the Ericsons, who were their partners, died of malaria And the little girl was sent off to America to be adopted by a family. While that's an extreme illustration, I think we've all had seasons in our lives where we've seen the brokenness around us. We've seen the hurt, we've seen the pain, we've seen the humanity, and our heart is drawn to make an impact. Our heart is drawn to do something about it. And in the moment, it doesn't seem like much is happening. We almost wonder, why would God lead us into this? Why would God call us to do this? And we're just racked with why, and then it seems like bad goes to worse, and we just want to throw up our hands and say, what's even the point? The world's so broken, so hurt, so filled with pain and sin and wickedness, is it even worth attempting to make a difference? And I believe it is this passage that gives us hope. Inside your service program that you should have received as you made your way into the auditorium this morning, I want to encourage you to take out your service program. There's a little Bible study that you can use to follow along as we go, literally, uh, just kind of verse by verse through this particular passage as we study the Word of God together this morning. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text here today. Matthew, chapter number 28, verse number 18. Let me give you some background for those of you who are maybe newer to church. According to the Scriptures, 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth. They called him Jesus. For 33 years, he walked among humanity, lived a perfectly sinless life, did not steal, did not cheat, was not immoral or disobedient. He lived a perfect and sinless life, for he truly was the Son of God. For the three final years of his life, He proclaimed a message that he was the way. He was the truth and that he was the life that no man got to the Father, no man got to heaven but through him. And for three years, he traveled around Jerusalem proclaiming that message of salvation. And at the end of of his ministry, the Jewish people killed him. Through a horrific 
turn of events, he was nailed to a cross, suffering, died, and for three days, he laid in, an, he laid in a tomb. But that was not the end of this story. Three days later, our Jesus triumphantly rose from the dead. And in that moment, he proved he was God, he proved he had power over death, and proved he had power to take each and every one of us to heaven. For 40 days, he walked among humanity, and then it was time for him to ascend back to the right hand of his father. Right before he ascends, he takes some time with some of his disciples to share with them what their job now was. What was the church going to be about? Why does it exist in the midst of this brokenness, in the context of this wickedness and sin? In a moment, Jesus is going to ascend to the right hand of his Father. In a moment, he's going to be in the very presence physically with his Father. And he gives some final, last words to these disciples. How would they make an impact? How would they change the world? And with that context, we read in verse 18. And Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. My friend, the mission of the church is bigger than just potlucks. The mission of the church is greater than simple social gatherings. The mission of the church is greater than our preferences. The mission of the church is greater than our circumstances. The mission of the church is greater than just making a comfortable community in which to exist in. According to the words of Jesus, the mission of the church is to get the message of Jesus to the multitudes. That is why we exist. We exist. The mission of the church is to get the message of Jesus to the multitudes. This morning, we're going to look at three important aspects of this reality. Let's have a word of prayer as we dive into a message that I'm entitling, The Mission of the Church, Shall We Pray? Dear Heavenly Father, God, it doesn't take us long to open up a newspaper, to turn on the news, to read through our Facebook posts and realize that we live in a broken, sinful, wicked world. And Lord, our hearts are grieved and troubled when we think about our part in that. What is it that you have called us to be? What is it that you've called us to do in the reality of of these things? 
And Lord, in the midst of that, you give us a charge. You give us a mission. And I pray that you would use your words not just to inform us, but to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would change my heart and the heart of our church through this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, let's dive into our text. We have three verses here and I have three thoughts. I want you to notice in verse 18, Jesus says, all power, notice this, circle that word, all, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth, which leads us here to our first thought that I want us to focus on this morning, and that is simply this, and that is the power of Christ is unbelievable, The power of Christ is unbelievable. He says, I have power that's in heaven. That means his power is over all spiritual entities. His power is over all principalities. His power is over all dominions. His power is over the rulers of the darkness of this air because he has all power. His power is unreal. His power is unbelievable. His power is incredible. Matthew chapter number 19 says it this way. Jesus says unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God, notice this, all things are possible. Notice that word all again. It's amazing when you study the life of Christ, you find a lot of those extreme terms used like all, because all things are possible with Christ. My friend, the greatest power in the world is not found in ourselves. It is found in the Savior. Our God is more powerful than any force of nature. He is more powerful than any military regime. He is more powerful than any king, any prime minister, and any president. And in light of that, he's more powerful than any of our fears, any of our doubts, and any of our weaknesses. He's more powerful than our past. He's more powerful than our circumstances. And he is more powerful than any brokenness and sin that exists in the world in which we live. And his power is not just over nature. His power is not just over political regimes. His power is not just over the political and emotional state of humanity. His power is over the lives of humanity. His power changes lives. As I look out over this group, I hope you don't take this wrong. But to some degree, the 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 place we call, the thing we call Ambassador Baptist Church, the group, the community. We're really just a a bunch of ragamuffin misfits, aren't we? I mean, honestly. By your own testimony, by your own admission, some of us were drug addicts, Gang members, prison inmates, adulterers, prostitutes, alcoholics, that's us. None of that's an exaggeration. Some of us lived as homeless, walking the streets, 
no hope. In the truest sense of the word, we're a bunch of ragamuffin misfits. <laughs> and the worst of us, we're self-righteous hypocrites. And then Jesus came. And began to change those things that we never could change on our own. Those things we longed to change, those things we desired to change, those things we wanted to change and couldn't. And then Jesus came and began to change us from the inside out. <laughs> you say, well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that bad. James chapter number two, verse 20 says it this way. If you offended in one of these areas, you were guilty of all. Don't get too high on your horse like you were something better than all that. That's who we are. We're broken. We were wicked and unrighteous until Jesus came along. And in his all-powerful nature begin to transform us from the inside out. You see, his power changes lives. And God then, with those changed lives, has begun to change our world. That's the power of God. That's the power of Christ. He has the power to change what we could never change. He has the power to, to change what we could never transform. Because the power of Christ truly is unbelievable. But it doesn't stop there. No. Notice verse number 20. He says at the end of the verse, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Not only do we see that the power of Christ is unbelievable, but to those who have, who have confessed Christ as their Savior and committed their lives to Jesus, the presence of Christ is undeniable. Notice what it says, I am, it's a promise, with you always, even unto the end of the world. It might have been 2,000 years since Christ uttered those words, but it's a promise that continues through time. I am with you. The power of Christ is with us. The might of Christ is with us. The strength of Christ is with us. Oh, he is with us. The presence of Christ is undeniable. If you want to turn to John 16, verse 7, I want you to see this. It's fascinating. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here toward the end of his life, and he makes this statement. He says, I tell you the truth. This is a fact. It is expedient for you. Now, I know in our modern vernacular, we don't always use that terminology. So let me translate for you. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth here. This is to your advantage. What's to our advantage? That I go away. Now get this. Jesus said it's expedient. It's to your advantage that I leave you. Now how many of you have ever thought, I just wish Jesus could walk into our service and be here physically among us right now. How many of you, that would be encouraging. You would think that would be awesome if Jesus in the flesh would make his way into this auditorium. My, we'd have a worship service like we never had before. And Jesus said, unfortunately, that's not true. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I go not away, the comforter, capital C, 
According to John here, chapter number 14, the comforter is the Holy Spirit. So he says, this is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I want you to see this. In essence, Jesus is saying, when I ascend, then the Spirit will descend. The Spirit of His presence, the Spirit of His power, the Spirit of His strength. When I ascend, He'll descend. Now get this, according to this verse, I've summed it up in a nutshell. I want you to get this. The Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. According to, according to the teachings of Jesus, the spirit inside you is better. It's expedient. It's to your advantage, the scriptures tell us. Because his spirit can be with all of us. To some degree, Jesus, limited by some degree by his physical humanity, when he ascended, his spirit was able to descend and be a spirit of comfort and be a spirit of hope and be a spirit of peace indwelling those believers who committed their lives to Christ. You see, now we are the home of Christ's spirit because the spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us, according to his own words. Nicholas Lawrence said it this way when it came to the presence of God. I cannot imagine how Christians can live satisfied without regularly practicing the presence of God. He goes on to say, I keep myself communing with him as much as I can. And while I am with him, I fear nothing. This was a theologian that lived hundreds of years ago and he was talking about practicing the presence of God. My friend, it's one thing to know about God. It's one thing to academically understand God on some distant theological level. It's one thing to intellectually kind of be able to comprehend who God is. It's an entirely different thing to practice his presence, to experience his peace, to experience his hope emotionally and physiologically to know him in the mind and experience him with the life and unfortunately there are Christians running around today and they're perfectly satisfied with understanding their God on a shallow academic intellectual level and they do not know their God personally and vibrantly and dynamically they're satisfied with something less than experience. And I want to call you to something greater this morning. I want to call you to experience your God this week. Spend time practicing his presence. Remind yourself that he is with you always. His power and his strength and his presence is there. Because when you do that, you'll fear nothing. The presence of Christ is undeniable. 
The power of Christ is unbelievable. So if his power is so great and his presence is so real, what does that lead us to? Notice thirdly today in verse 19. And Jesus says, go ye. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Now, I want you to see this. Notice this. He says, I want you to go. I want you to teach. That word teach in the Greek, the the word teach is actually used two times here. It's interesting. But in the Greek, it's actually two different words. It's not the same Greek word being used in the first teach as in the second teach. Literally, we could say it this way, make disciples, go ye therefore and make disciples. It's a teaching that involves conversion, discipleship. The second speaks of that which would be more common to our thinking, teaching them to observe all things. Go ye and teach. When David flood made his way back to Sweden, his little daughter, whose name was Aggie, ended up living with a pastor in Kansas. As time went on, she grew up and married a man who eventually became the president at Northwest University. For 25 years, they served. He served as a college president at a Christian seminary. And for their 25th anniversary the college gave them a trip to go back to Stockholm, to go to Sweden. And the attempts that possibly Aggie could find her father. She got on a plane and for five days she began to research where he could possibly be. And after five days, for the first time in some 40 years, she was reunited with her dad. His life was broken, his life hurting. It was difficult for him. When they came together, he was very sick, and he looked at her and with tears in his eyes, he said, I never meant to give you away. I didn't know life would turn out like this. They enjoyed a few moments together and then it wasn't long before she had to leave. When she landed back in the States, she received the news that while she was in flight, her father had passed away. Five years later, she and her husband were attending a conference with their university. As a university president, he was called to go. It was a worldwide Bible conference in London, England, and this particular conference was being held at the Royal Princess Albert Hall. One of the speakers that night was a man by the name of Rugida Nagara. What caught Aggie's attention as she was listening was that the man was from the same part of the country that her parents had served at. So afterwards, she made her way to the front of that auditorium 
She stood in front of that man and through an interpreter, they began to talk. She told him who she was and who her father was. A smile came to Regita's face and he looked at her and said, just a few months ago, I placed some flowers at the grave of your mother in honor of the thousands that have come to Christ because of her. As they began to talk, Aggie came to, the, came to understand through the interpreter that this was the young boy that her parents had led to the Lord some 40 years earlier. That young African boy had grown up and he began to teach the gospel and preach the gospel to his village. As he grew up, he started a school and then a college, leading entire villages to the Lord. In fact, history will tell us that more than 600 villages saw revival and conversions because of this one man's ministry. Over 100,000 were baptized because of the flood's influence on one small boy. As Aggie was getting ready to leave, the man through the interpreter waved her down and with his last words to her said, thank you. Thank you for allowing your mother to die so many of us could live. Not only is the power of Christ unbelievable, And not only is the presence of Christ undeniable, it brings us to this final realization from Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, and that is simply this, that the plan of Christ is unstoppable. In Matthew chapter number 16, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice the plan here. I don't see a plan. It's very clear. He says, go. Each and every one of us are called to be missionaries that go into our workplaces, that go into our neighborhoods, that go to our unsaved relatives, to go engage, to interact, to be where they are. This is the plan of Christ, that we go to the world, not only that, and make disciples. Yes, give them a sandwich. Yes, give them some medicine, but most importantly, give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said it this way. If you're going to give the man a gospel, wrap it in a sandwich. And if you give a man a sandwich, wrap it in the gospel. What our world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, go, Make disciples. Third, notice this, baptize them. You might be sitting here today and you might have committed your life to Christ, but maybe you've never been baptized. I want to challenge you to consider being baptized, to identify with Jesus Christ, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, it's what God called the church to do. He charged us to get on mission, to be a part of his plan, to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and then lastly, to teach them to observe, to do all things. 
The plan of Christ is unstoppable. Can I say this? That's why the church exists. It doesn't exist for social gratification. It doesn't exist just for more relationships. It doesn't, get this. If it was just about fellowship, which it is, but if that's all it was about, Jesus could have taken us to heaven the moment we got saved and we could have enjoyed perfect fellowship with God in heaven for all of eternity. The main reason, the mission of the church, while, while the purpose of the church is to glorify God, the mission of the church is to get the message of Christ to the multitudes. That's your mission. That's my mission. That's our mission. That's That is why the Ambassador Baptist Church exists. It's not just about building buildings. It's not just about fellowshipping. It's not just about potlucks or food or events or making each other feel good. It is about the mission of the church is mission. It's why we exist. And most churches have forgotten this. They exist for something less than they were called to by God. So how do we do this? Real practically. Let's take a couple of minutes. How do we do this? Okay. Philippians chapter number four, verse nine, gives us a good little plan. Those things which have both, you have both learned and received, notice these words, and heard and seen in me do. If you want to write down three words, heard, seen, do. If we are going to disciple our unsaved families, if, we're gonna, if we are going to make an impact in our world, I, man, praise God when elections go our way. But can I say this? Elections are not going to save America. Jesus will. Praise God for some of the open doors that political elections provide us. Let's not take that. But can I say this? At the end of the day, we need a grassroots movement. We need a revolution. And the revolution we need is a gospel revolution at a grassroots level. Not just trying to change the political behaviors of an area. Not just trying to change the outward actions of a people. But change the very fiber of their souls. And only the message of Jesus does that That's why we exist. We do some other things, but this is our mission. This is our purpose. Our mission is missions. And the moment we forget that, may we die. Let God burn this building down if we ever forget that that is the mission of the church. So how? You say, I get scared. That's why you need to remember the power of Christ. You say, I I feel alone, like I'm the only one. That's why you need to remember the presence of Christ. Because when you get a hold of the power of Christ, and it becomes real to your personal, everyday life, not just not just semantics, but when it, when it grips your soul and the power and strength and glory of who your God really is in his strength and in his power and his grace, it will fill you with power. So what do we do? Paul said, here's my plan. I want them to hear it from me. I want them to see it and I want to do it with them. Somebody once said it this way. Tell me, 
and I might forget. Show me, and I'll remember. Involve me, and I will truly understand. This, this is the plan. Practical, nuts and bolts. So let me give it to you. We're gonna put it on the screen. By God's grace, what is this plan? By God's grace, when we really understand his power, and that his power is with us, and we get that, and we're, we're obsessed with the reality that our God is powerful, our God is strong and full of strength, and that God will never leave us and never forsake us. It endues us with strength. It endues us with courage. It endues us with boldness. And the reason you lack courage and the reason you lack boldness is you have forgotten who your God is. And you don't practice the presence of God. You're not living experientially in the experience, emotionally realizing who your God is in authenticity. By grace, we can, when we remember his strength, we remember his presence. We can teach the gospel of Christ with our words. We can. Go, make disciples. It takes words. Teach the gospel of Christ with your words. Teach the message of Christ with your words. I heard somebody once said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's cute, it makes no sense. I understand emphasizing living what you're saying. That makes sense. It's like, it's like feed the world and use food if necessary. <laughs> feed them, you know, and if you, if you have to use some food, you know, it doesn't make sense. It, use your words to preach and teach the message of Jesus. This is, this is why we exist. And a church that forgets this dies. They all do. Every church that forgets this dies. They die. They're about a hundred things smaller than this and they've forgotten this is why we exist. By grace, we can teach the gospel of Christ with our words, okay? That's what it's talking about. Go ye and teach all nations, all right? Number two, that which you've heard and seen. They, they gotta see something, which leads us, demonstrate the message of Christ with our actions. Yeah, they gotta hear it with words, but if they hear it with words and don't see it played out in our lives, this is where the power of Christ becomes so important. The power of Christ would live this thing through us, demonstrate the message of Christ with our actions. That which he have heard, so we gotta teach it. If they're gonna hear, we gotta say it. Seen in me, if they're gonna see it in us, we gotta demonstrate it, we gotta live it. And then do, number three, here's, here's the plan. Partner with people. Partner alongside people in the mission of Christ. Partner with them. Partner with your children in the message of Christ. Partner with your grandchildren. Partner with those young believers. Yeah, tell them that's good. Show them that's good. But live life with them. Do life with these people. This is the plan of Christ. Teach people the gospel with words. Demonstrate the message of the gospel with actions and partner alongside people in the mission of Christ with our lives. Some of us need to stand up and say, hey, join me as we get the gospel out to Fresno. 
and have the courage to ask somebody else in this room to, to partner alongside of you. Involve them. Let them see you do it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Partner with them. This is the plan. You say, I don't know if I can do that. And let me just say this. On your own, you can't. That's the reality. Reach the world? That's pretty intense. Yes, you can't do it. That's why God has given you a power that's greater than you, greater than your personality, greater than your experiences, greater than your resources, greater than anything you can conjure up in and of yourselves. You can't, but when we allow his power to overcome our weaknesses, when we allow his presence to overcome our fears, when we allow his plan to overcome our agenda, his mission will become our priority. One of the ways I know when people really are experiencing Christ on their own is when, they, when, when the power of Christ really does overcome their weaknesses and the presence of Christ is really overcoming their fears and the plan of Christ is really overcoming their agenda. The, the, the fruit of that is the mission of Christ becomes their priority. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's an entirely other thing to walk the walk. The last thing, this is the very last thing. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. Mark chapter number 16 gives us the last phrase that Jesus utters as he's descending. And he says in Mark 16, and Jesus said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is our plan. That is our priority. That is our purpose. It's the last thing Jesus said as he was ascending to the Father. And so I say to you, Christ's last command should be our first concern. You say, I don't think I've been doing that. And I want to say to you to this, this is what makes God's grace so incredible. Even when we have not concerned ourselves with his commands, even when we've ignored his commands, when we've disobeyed his commands, when we've allowed our lives to get so busy that we have not made his commands a priority, I wanna say to you this, he still believes that we can live more nobly. You might have never truly been involved in his plan and yet he still believes that you can be. He still believes that in his strength you can be involved, that you can be a preacher. How should I hear without a preacher? That you can communicate with your words. That you can live this out with your lives. That you can live and demonstrate and do this along with other people. He believes that you can live more nobly and be a part of something greater than yourself. This is why we exist. Thank God for all the wonderful trappings and blessings of the church and Christianity. Amen for it. But this this is what it's ultimately about, the glory of Christ and the propagation of the gospel. How does Christ get glorified? When everybody on earth knows about how great he is. As much as we need missionaries across the ocean, we need them across the street. And you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, I'm not a missionary. Biblically, you are a missionary. Biblically. 
scripturally. Once, once you committed your life to Christ, whether you realized it or not, you are a missionary. You're an ambassador, a missionary. I know, you don't, I, I know we give these people up here on Sunday nights and we're like, no, they're missionaries. I'm not, no. They're, they just happen to be a missionary across the ocean. We're missionaries across the street. We're all missionaries. The real question is this. What type of missionary are you? That, that's really the question. That's, that's a better question. Not, are you a missionary? Are you a missionary? No, you're, you're missionaries. If, you, if you've committed your life to Christ and you're a saved individual, you are a missionary. It's part of your identity in Christ. The real question is, what type of missionary are you? The power of Christ is unbelievable. That's where it all starts. That power is present with us because his presence is undeniable and the plan of Christ is unstoppable. What type of missionary are you? Who is God's spirit want to manifest his power to through you? That's the mission of the church is missions. Shall we pray?